listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Kelowna. For more information about our church, please visit harvestkelowna.ca. Turn to Acts chapter 11, and if you do not have a Bible here, if you do not have a Bible of your own, We would love for you to take one of these Bibles, to have a Bible in your hand today, and maybe the Bible in your hand is on your phone. Uh, That is acceptable. I always like seeing the glow of people, seeing the glow of their face, even at times from that. uh, Maybe it makes you look more angelic. I'm not sure, but make sure you're not on Facebook or anything like that during this, unless, of course, you're tweeting great or uh, reporting great things about uh, what you're hearing from God's Word, not from me, but from the Word of God. And so... uh, Folks, when we build our lives on the Word of God, our whole world can be, and in many ways, our world is shaking, and anything that is not built on the Word of God will one day fall. But when we build our lives, our families, our church, our nation on the Word of God, it will stand. It will stand forever. And uh, so uh, let's, let's uh, get into God's word here today. And I trust that you get into God's word throughout the course of the week as well. Where we left things off last week in Acts chapter 10, Peter had quite the experience on the rooftop in Joppa. And as you know, he was in Jerusalem, he went to Lydda, he went to Joppa, and then last week we looked at him going to Caesarea, and some amazing things happened, and he had that amazing rooftop experience that led him to Caesarea, that pagan city, and into the house of a pagan, a Gentile, uh, the Cornelius, a, a God-fearing man, but a lost man, and as Peter was in the house and it was uh, full of family, of friends, of dear people around him, before he even finished his sermon, the Holy Spirit came upon them. The people were saved. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. What happened to them in Acts chapter uh, 10 here that we saw last week was the same thing that happened to the Jews in Jerusalem in Acts 2 when, when the Holy Spirit came upon them at Pentecost in Jerusalem. And now it was happening in a Gentile house in a Gentile city, and people were being saved and receiving the Holy Spirit. And and look at chapter 10, verse 48, great verse in here. And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. He commanded them. If you're saved, if you're a believer in Christ, you are commanded to be baptized. Same goes for for things today, for us as as believers in Christ today. And and so they went out, they were baptized, and, and then it says, then they asked him to remain for some days. So just think about this, the first Gentiles getting saved, the first Gentile baptisms, the first Gentile church services, all Gentile church services that Peter is leading, and and no doubt the the follow-up classes and and different things as he's there a little bit, perhaps even Peter enjoyed his first ham sandwich, or his first morning with eggs and bacon, you know, everything, you know, was being turned upside down, And, and these events were seriously, seriously amazing events that were happening here in in, in the Christian church on, uh, around the world. I mean, th- this was, was something very special that was happening in the world as they knew it at that time. God was not only just changing his diet, more than that, he was changing his whole thinking, his whole understanding, his history of how he saw things. The gospel, the grace, and the mercy of God was just as much available for the Gentile he has seen as it was for the Jews. And the Great Commission was now happening 
on, on firing on all, all four cylinders, uh, where they were to go to Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria. And now it was happening in the outermost parts of the world. And this was considered the outermost parts of the world. This was considered areas like Caesarea. Next week, it's going to be mind-blowing what you're going to see, what ends up happening as the gospel continues to keep moving out. But it's happening. And so there was no doubt a part of Peter's like, it's happening. We're firing on all four. This is amazing. Just as Jesus commanded, Old Testament scriptures were now happening. That the, that the Messiah and the truth and the reality that he would bring wasn't just going to be for the Jewish people, but it was for all people. And so the gospel is moving out. It's taking new ground, new territory. And this was just the beginning. Things were just getting going. And, and as I already mentioned, I mean, put on your seatbelts for next week because don't go anywhere. Get back here because you're going to even hear more amazing things that took place. And, and you can follow. You can, you can even jump ahead and you can start reading it. But when you understand it in context of what was taking place in Antioch, mind-blowing. And that's the gospel. That's what happens when people catch on fire with the gospel. That's what happens when when people take the commands of Jesus Christ seriously and either we're hindering that process or we're helping the process. I've seen others come to faith in Jesus Christ. The commission hasn't changed. I read this week this statement and and it just kind of, I mulled on it for for quite a bit and I thought I'm going to give it to you. I encourage you even to write it down. God's grace through you to other people is the mission of the church. God's grace through you, what God has done through you, is now the mission that we have been placed on. That we are to share his grace with others. We are to proclaim the message of Jesus Christ. We have not come to the point where we have received Christ as our Savior. We have not stumbled upon his grace just to kind of fall upon us and just to bless us in our nice little comfy chairs on a Sunday morning and just have God's power and his blessing rain down upon us on Sundays and for the rest of the week. It's not just to land on us. It is to move out. It is to move forward. What pillar number four, sharing the good news of Jesus Christ with boldness. And that is something that, that we oftentimes, the other three pillars we can work on, that fourth one should be a natural outflow of the other three. And yet something that we need to pay attention to. At Harvest, and, and I trust if you've never been to, to Discover Harvest or formerly party with the pastor, now Discover Harvest. If you haven't uh, come to that or if it's been a while and you think, oh yeah, what is the mission? What are we all about? Come today, uh, right after the service. Encourage you to come for a brief presentation, give you an understanding. But here's one of the things you're going to hear in there. And here's one of the things we're serious about. The, the, the mission of Harvest Bible Chapels today, I, I believe, uh, Harvest Naples, Florida is being launched, and this is something they're going to be serious about in Naples, Florida, as well as other ones that will be launching in, in 2017, Lord willing. And this is the mission of all 150-some churches across the world so far, to glorify God through the fulfillment of the Great Commission in the spirit of the Great Commandment, to go and make disciples of all nations, to get out there and share the gospel and we do that in the, in, in, with the heart and the spirit of the great commandment, which is 
which is loving, loving others more than ourselves, loving God and loving others. And, and this is something that, that, that we need to be committed to, not just as a church, just like as, as, as uh, sort of the larger body, but the individual body. Here are some interesting statistics for you. I heard about this at Harvest University at a, at a uh, class that John McMullen taught on, on church planting. And he, said, and, and he just gave out some of these facts, and, and I asked for the, these facts to be sent to me. In Canada, our population, is roughly, what, 35 million people. The new census will soon be out and, and, and that number will be adjusted probably a little bit more, but approximately 35 million people in Canada. Out of that, there's approximately 24,000 churches. That number of churches is actually in the decline mode in Canada. And listed in that is 11,000 evangelical churches in Canada. And I would think we would be generous out of the 35,000 people with the 24,000 churches, 11,000 evangelical churches that, that, um, that we have here in our nation. We would be very uh, generous um, to say that perhaps 10% of Canada would know Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. That is probably being rather generous in that, sad to say. It's estimated that 8 to 12% of, of Canada is evangelical, but we also know that people will just label themselves as that, but will not truly know Jesus Christ. They may go to church, but they're not in Christ. And that can easily happen in a good church like this. We can go to church Sunday after Sunday and, and look like a Christian. You might even at times smell like one, you know, coffee breath after the service or whatever that might be, but that you haven't truly made a commitment to Jesus Christ. And so even saying 10%, if 10% of Canadians were born again, uh, Jesus Christ is my Savior and my Lord, and I testify to that, 10% would be generous. That leaves us 31 million people, a little over 31 million people in our nation without Christ. In the Okanagan Valley, that's 300,000 people who don't know Christ. We've got our work to do in our own backyard. And, and when you think globally of the billions of people, we've got our, our, our work cut out for us. We've got to get going on this. And, and the lost simply won't be saved by our gathering, by our coming to church. The lost get saved by our going, our being scattered and telling others about Christ, getting into the lives of people around us. If God's heart is for the nations of all people of all background, our heart should be the same. Wouldn't you agree? And God's heart is for all nations. It is for all people, regardless of their race, their background, their past. Just because we have this statement, however, about this wonderful mission statement on our website and we have it on some of our printed materials doesn't mean that it's necessarily going to just happen automatically. We've got to be intentional. Encourage you to be intentional. And, and even today, when you exit here and at the office and on Sundays, we have plenty of these cards that we have just recently printed up that just tell people you can hand these out and you're going to be handed one of these and one of these on your way out. Don't discard them. Don't say, no, thank you. Use them this week. First of all, read it. Make sure you kind of know what it says. And, and maybe you're going to ask for two or three or four or five and we've, or take 10 or 15 or 20 of these and hand them out. Have them in your vehicle, in your purse, in your man purse, if you have one of those. Whatever it is, in your wallet, carry it with you so you can invite others and tell other people about your church. But not just like hit them over the head and say, here, come to church. You know what? Good. My job is done. I'm doing what the pastor told me to do. Invite people into your life. Take an interest. Look for ways that we can serve our city. Look for ways that we can serve other people. 
people in the workplace, our neighbors start we got to scatter. We got to, got to be moving out. That's what the gospel, that's what the word of God calls us to do. And we see this here as we see the church multiplies in the book of Acts. And we are to do the same in our own lives and in our church here. And so, all right, back to Acts chapter 11. These powerful events took place in Caesarea. Uh, Peter stays there a little bit longer, and then he's, he's heading back to Jerusalem. And I'm pretty sure that as he is going, he's pretty pumped. You know, like he is, he is like, this is awesome. And as he's going, maybe he's like singing, celebrate good times. Come on. It's a celebration. You know, and, and, and as he's going, or, or you know, maybe, I, I mean, Cool and the Gang didn't have that song back then, but maybe it was like, you know, you know I heard an old, old story of a savior who came from glory, you know, and, and, and victory in Jesus. And he's just singing it and he's heading back to Jerusalem. Can't wait to tell the brothers. Can't wait to tell the church. This is mind blowing. They're going to be so stoked when they hear this. Now there's an old saying that good news travels fast. And indeed in verse one, we see here in chapter 11, now the apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles had received the word of God. So the word, good news, was traveling. But there's also a second part to that statement as well, isn't there? That bad news travels even faster. And so when Peter gets to Jerusalem, the joy, the excitement was just like sapped right out of him. Do you ever know people like that? Have you ever had that situation where there's something you are so pumped about, you are so excited about, and then enter into your life, Darren or Debbie Downer. And they just like have a way of just putting a major like water bomb full of water or fire retardant chemical on the fire of excitement that you have. And, and it's just like going like from woo to like, oh, you know, and, and just like crumbling like a leaf in, you know, after uh, uh, autumn uh, frost, you know, it just kind of like crumbles up just like, especially tomato plants. Just, you know, just, that's what sometimes people can do in our lives. I trust you're not a Debbie Downer or a Darren Downer and just, you know, able to find the negative side of things. You say, well, you know, there's a place for critical reason. You know, that's the way I, I, I'm geared. That's just the way I am. Well, then stop it for crying out loud and look and see what God is doing. God hasn't paid you to be a critic at all times. We are to rejoice with those that are rejoicing. We are to weep and and mourn with those who mourn. And yes, there is a place for discernment. We're going to get to that and we're going to see that. But when God's at work, we need to rejoice. We need to be excited about it. And yes, we need to research and we need to see, and we're going to see this process here of how we handle our critics. And, and, and this is one of the first things I encourage you to write this down as we take a look at, at this. Here's just a statement. When God is on the move, there will be opposition and critics. There will be. And we've got to work through this. And opposition will come in many forms. We're in a spiritual battle. And, 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 and there'll, there'll be the battle that we're going to face in the spiritual realm. We're going to face certain battles and struggles from the world, from outside sources, from the flesh, from our own kind of sinful nature that hasn't been completely sanctified yet. Not until we see Christ face to face will we be. And so we're always going to have this struggle within us, but I trust we struggle less and less. And yet the enemy is very tricky because there's the world, there's the flesh, and then there's the devil that, that are, are some of the forms of opposi opposition that we face. But sometimes the critics and the opposition, and this is what we're going to be looking at today, can be other people. 
other Christian people even. And so in verse two, it says, so when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party criticized him saying, you went to uncircumcised men and you ate with them. It's like, how could you do this? What were you thinking, Peter? Come on, you know, give your head a shake. Now, who was the circumcision party? Some would suggest that they were a right-wing conservative group within the church, you know, some legalists, some extremists, and, and you still even have that kind of, um, can, can have those kind of groups and, 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 and not parties necessarily, but, but you have some of those kind of groups and factions today within the Church of Jesus Christ. Yet in John Stott's commentary, as well as some others that I read from this week, it is believed that it's very possible that the circumcision party basically meant the entire um, community there, the Christian community that were there because they were all part of, of the circumcision party, so to speak. They, they had followed the, the Old Testament laws and, 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 and it followed along with that. And so there are some who believe it was everyone who was very upset with Peter, regardless if it was a handful of people or it was everyone. We're going to see how Peter dealt with his critics and how we can do the same. And you see, one of the greatest hindrances that the gospel will face, the growth of the church, one of the greatest hindrances won't be from outside opposition. It won't be from oppressive government regimes. It won't be from terror groups. The church in China, the church in Iraq and Afghanistan are proofs of that, that the church, the gospel, that believers can flourish in, in, in the midst of that kind of opposition. But one of the greatest hindrances can be other Christians. It's like we're shooting ourselves at times, and, 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 and it's just a sad, sad kind of thing. I read a few weeks ago, and the story stuck with me, and I share it with you, when Mahatma Gandhi, uh, the great Hindu civil rights leader, um, who was born in India, but when he went to England and studied there uh, to get his university training as a, as a lawyer, he was greatly impacted by reading the Word of God. And as he was reading the Gospels, he was seriously considering converting to Christianity because there was something that he could not reconcile within the Hindu faith and with, within um, the Indian culture, and that had to do with the caste system. And he just could not understand that. He did not like that. He just couldn't reconcile his mind with that kind of thinking. And as he read the New Testament, he didn't see that. As he read the Gospels and saw that, that the love of Christ was for all people, he ended up going to a church one day and he was hoping then after the service he would be able to talk to the pastor and, and find out more about, uh, about the word of God but also about salvation. He was very close to converting to Christianity but one of the ushers at the door refused him a seat and he was told to go worship with his own people. He left and never went back and concluded, if Christians have a caste system, I might as well remain a Hindu. Crazy. Sad. Oh, we must guard the gospel. We mustn't water down the word of God. We need to hold on to, to, to biblical truth. 
We need to understand the gospel is for all people, all backgrounds, no matter what their past, no matter what they're currently walking through or going through. The gospel has a word for them. The gospel of Jesus Christ can save all people and he will transform. It's not our job to change and transform people. That's the Holy Spirit's job. That is what happens when someone is under the word of God and God is able to transform them in and through his spirit in that way. It can be very easy for us to become critics and negative and get hung up on open-handed issues, things that really don't matter, issues of preference, of prejudice, of at times, and, and, and what does prejudice basically mean? Prejudging, prejudging people, prejudging a situation before we have all the facts, or sometimes we don't even need to make all the facts. We don't even need to make a judgment on, on where people are at. The Lord knows that. Now, as believers, we walk with one another. We confront areas of sin. That's different for believers. But, but when it comes to the gospel, when it comes to, to the gospel being for all people from all nations, uh, from all backgrounds, that's the gospel. That is what the word of God tells us. But we can get hung up on, on silly things. And I got confronted with this at, at a very young age, very early on uh, in, in my ministry experience. I was a youth pastor. I had just been a youth pastor in Saskatoon for a number of months. And I had a youth event on, uh, on the weekend. And, and I missed the church service that Sunday morning. It was all pastor approved. It was a senior pastor. was okay with it. We were on a retreat. I came back and we had a Sunday evening service. And it was uh, a fairly conservative, traditional church. One where um, if you were on the stage, it was kind of an understanding you'd wear a suit, um, suit and tie, and, and it was very formal. Sunday evenings were a little more informal, obviously. And, and so I, I, I came to the service, and I uh, was in a hurry. I put on a pair of dress pants, a sweater, a shirt like this, uh, but I didn't put a tie on. I thought, oh, what's the big deal? And, and then all of a sudden, last minute, I found out, hey, Melvin, you're doing announcements. And so I was getting ready uh, to go up on the stage. The head usher takes and he pulls me by the arm. He says, where are you going? And I said, uh, I'm, the service is starting. I'm going to get it going. And he says, and he pulls down my sweater and he looks and he's like, you're not wearing a tie. And I said, you're right, I'm not. I said, I just got back from, and he says, here, take mine. And he takes off his clip-on tie and he, he rips off his tie. He says, here, you got to put this on. And I said, no, thank you. I think I'm okay. And, and I turned around and I went up for the service. He left the church. That was the last time that he attended our church. And I just thought, Seriously? That became a big deal, that I wasn't wearing a tie. And, and sometimes we laugh about that, but we also have to be careful at some of the things that at times that we may be carrying as well. It's so easy to look at, at, at others and to criticize. And, but what areas might I be struggling with? Some of those struggles can sometimes be the version of the Bible. I, I, I remember um, hearing and, and actually even seeing on, on, on a church website about a certain version of the Bible must be used at all times by all people in that church. I even heard one person even get a defense for a version of the Bible that they follow because they said, after all, that's the Bible that Jesus used. Like, eh, no, I don't think so, you know, and, uh, uh, you know, and, and sometimes it, it just doesn't even have a good basis for it. It's what they've been taught or, or different things. But sometimes whether it comes down to dress codes, hairstyle, appearance, education, ethnic origin, certain instruments or no musical instruments or style of music, all of these different things. And even now we're even seeing great divides happening even within the church in North America. And yes, I'd even have to include here in Canada on who you voted 
voted for. And even though we didn't even get a chance to vote in the United States election, you see the division that even happens between Christian people on different parties that they voted for. And we must understand that we all bring into our lives, into the church, into our Christian life, certain cultural and religious backgrounds and biases and at times baggage. And we've got to be careful with that. And at times, some of our strongly held convictions can have absolutely no biblical basis at all. The circumcision party here believed that in order to be truly saved, a person, oh yeah, Gentiles could be saved, but they needed to be circumcised. After all, that's what the Old Testament, that's, that's what the law of God commanded. And even though they were growing in their understanding that the new covenant had come, that Christ had paid the price, they were still holding on to that. And this would be a struggle that would continue to hound their early church. But with all of this new and fresh um, kind of work that was happening here at, in Jerusalem, here as, as this news came here, we see that it was a continuation. And, and, and this was a conviction that did not change easily. And, and at times, we've got to be patient with people. We've got to be loving. And again, we're going to see a process here. We have to know how to deal with critics and with opposition. And be careful that in the midst, we don't become a critic or a Debbie or a Darren Downer, Downer ourselves. Getting hung up on things that are open-handed. Um, and yet, hold on to strong biblical convictions. And you'll say, how do we do all of that? Well, I'm so glad that God's word has the answer and we're gonna even see it here in the book of Acts. Let's learn from Peter. As this had potential to really turn things upside down and halt the evangelistic efforts that would take place. And so when we are facing our critics, here are some, some steps for us. Don't go in with guns blazing, go in humility. And look at in verse four, it says, and Peter began and explained it to them in order. And as we're gonna read this in a few moments, the whole tone of this passage, the whole mood is that of humility, of calmness. This group that was standing in front of him were pretty worked up and Peter could have easily fired back and, and like, oh yeah, oh yeah? Who do you think you are? After all, I was given the keys of the kingdom, <laughs> you know, um, how about that one? And, and look at what I've been doing. I've been out pounding it out, out, you know, out in the countryside, and I've been doing all of this. <laughs> Raised a guy from the dead, or a woman from the dead. Have you done that? <laughs> Think I'd trump you. Was there, was there a spirit of arrogance and, 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 and pride here with Peter? Absolutely not. Not at all. There was humility here, and you say, well, maybe he was just a pushover. Maybe he was a timid, uh, no, remember Peter? I mean, he had no problem stepping in and doing what needed to be done, right? He, he was that kind of a guy. I mean, whether it's jumping out of the boat and wanting to walk on water, or whether it's chopping off an ear with a sword, uh, you know, like, I mean, he was a get-her-done kind of guy, or at least try to get it done kind of guy, you know, or, I mean, e even... Even he could say what needed to be said. And, and you see, even in Acts chapter 2, when he's preaching, and he's preaching there on the day of Pentecost, he had no problems telling the Jews that you are responsible for Jesus Christ's death along with the Roman soldiers who put him on the cross. He was ready. He was prepared. He was able to say what needed to be said. He was pretty bold. But in responding to his critics, we see here humility. And it allowed them to see his heart. 
And you know, folks, one of the things that is hitting me over and over and over and over and over again, and especially this past week, the greater your influence, the greater success, the greater um, progress you're making, your knowledge is increasing, the natural reaction moves us towards pride and arrogance. But the more influence, the greater success in business, or maybe you're at a good season in your life, in marriage, and family. Maybe you've had some good promotions. Maybe there's some blessings financially. Oftentimes what comes knocking at the door when that happens is pride. Pride. And, and the greater the influence, the greater the humility is needed. The greater the dependency upon God. Getting and staying low before God seeking a greater dependency upon him, seeking God's glory, not your own, thanking him, being grateful for what he's doing, for the blessing he's giving it upon you, but always just giving it back to him and just, just surrendering our, yourself to him over and over again because pride, pride, pride. I've, I've, known, I've been around this, this far too long now to see great and successful preachers and past, uh, churches and authors and different things and, 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 and as pride starts taking over in their lives, the controversy and, and the trouble starts to brew. And some of those churches have closed doors because of it. And ministers have been taken out and they've become unaccountable and they've fallen in, 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 in sexual areas. They have fallen in, in finances, in power, in, in, in just areas of pride. And, and what, is, what is needed? Humility. If God is blessing you, be thankful, be humble, be grateful, keep giving it back to him. Not a fake humility, but a genuine just, just love and appreciation and worship of God and what he is doing and how he is blessed. Stay humble, stay humble. Even when dealing with critics and with opposition, don't go in with guns blazing, go in humility. Second of all, we see Peter and we can learn from this, stick to the facts, speak the truth and the truth. That isn't a little typo or anything like that. Stick to the facts, speak the truth and the truth. And here what Peter did, and we're going to read it here. Peter just simply just started to give the account of what happened. He didn't add to it. He didn't flower it up. He didn't throw his opinion into it. He just simply stated the facts. Verse 5, let's read. We're going to read a long chunk here. It's awesome. I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision. Something like a great sheet descending down, being let down from heaven by its four corners. And it came down to me. Look at it closely. I observed animals and, and beasts of prey and reptiles and birds of the air. And I heard a voice saying to me, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But I said, by no means, Lord, for nothing unclean or uncommon ha have ever entered my mouth. But the voice answered a second time from heaven. What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times and all, um, and all was drawn up again into heaven. And behold, at that very moment, three men arrived at the house in which we were sent to me from Caesarea. And the spirit of the Lord told me to go with them, making no distinction. These six brothers also accompanied me and we entered the man's house. 
And he told us how, we, how he had seen an angel in his house and say, send to Joppa and bring Simon, who is called Peter. He will declare to you a message by which you will be saved, you and all your household. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them just as on us at the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave the gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? And so here we see Peter is just simply given the facts. He is just laying it out. And, and, and here are some things that, that Peter um, mentions as he's going along here. And what he is showing is this is a God thing. This isn't a made-up thing. This isn't something. Here's simply what happened, and, and we see these th three things. First of all, he saw. He saw a vision, the revelation of this animal, these animals in this sheet. And so, so he saw. We see that in verse 5. But then in verse 9, we see that he heard the voice of the Lord. And, and, and the voice of the Lord came to him and says, What God has made, has made clean, do not call common. So he heard the, the word of the Lord to him. He heard the voice of the Lord. And then... He followed the Spirit's leading. The Spirit told me to go making no distinction. And folks, these same three things are applicable to our own lives. Today we can see the Word of God. We have God's Word in front of us. This is God's revelation to us as His children. It is closed. It is finished. It is complete. It is sufficient. And we want to know God's will. We want to know God's plan for our lives. God's word gives us that direction. God's word is very clear in how he will lead us. God speaks to us today in the primary way that he will speak to us is through the word of God. We also can hear the word of God. When we read it out loud, we hear the word. When others read it, we hear the word. When it is being proclaimed to us, oftentimes you see that, that the gospel, how the gospel moves forth is through the preaching of the word of God as the, as the word of God is being proclaimed. And so we hear the word of God and then we have an opportunity to follow or to not follow. We can follow the leading of the word of God and the spirit's leading in our lives. And that's what Peter did. And that's what we are to do as well. And I need to be honest with you though. And we're going to dig into some areas here today. We're living in some very strange days. Biblical discernment within the church of Jesus Christ is seriously lacking. And it is being replaced by personal experiences, emotionalism, personal opinions, new age teaching, philosophies, practices, and outright false teaching. And this is happening within the church. And you may be surprised at times to find out some of the things that are happening or may not even be aware at the undertow of some of the things that are happening. And, 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 and we may just think, because oftentimes we think, well, if it happened in church, it must be of God. If a preacher said it, it must be right. We must learn to discern. We need to be wise when it comes to these kind of things. And, and for these people, I mean, we'll give them, we'll give the circumcision party a little credit because they're also wanting to check this. They're wanting to hear this. And, and, and so to have this discerning spirit, it's one thing to be critical. It's another thing to be discerning. And to have a discerning mind is good. And we're going to see this ends really well. 
And this can end, these kind of things can end well for us as well. But just because something happens within the church, as I've already said, or, or is said by a pastor or a Christian author, it doesn't mean that it is correct or that it's biblical and we need to be wise. We need to be careful about a sugar-coated gospel, the ear tickling that, that, uh, that oftentimes you say things that people want to hear, but it's important that we are paying attention and that we are preaching and proclaiming the whole counsel of the Word of God. Many churches today won't preach on sin. They won't preach on repentance. They, won't, they don't want to talk about the repentance part. They don't want to talk about hell. Uh, some are questioning it existence even. And we need to be people of the word that, that, that look at the entire word of God and, and uphold it as, as sufficient and infallible and inerrant and, and necessary for our lives today. And one of the things that at times we'll hear are, are certain Holy Spirit manifestations. God told me. Or at times, you know, we'll hear this. God told me, and it's like, did he? Is it biblical? Does it align with scripture? Even certain healings or, or even some of the tour guide to heaven kind of books and movies that people have had or that are telling experiences about heaven, many of them, as you look at them, folks, you have to be discerning that many of them are misleading and inaccurate when it comes to biblical truth. It doesn't line up with what God's word tells us heaven will be like. And as Peter speaks the truth to the people, what is he giving them here? He's giving them the truth. Capital letters truth. As he is telling the story of what took place, he is sharing it all in light of the word of God. Look at in verse 16 and he says, and then I remembered the word of the Lord. How he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Peter's vision, what he experienced as he was on that rooftop in that trance, as he was praying, totally fit within the word of God, agreed with the word of God. And what this did for Peter, what this did for the people here, is reminding them of the words of Jesus, but also triggering them of all the other Old Testament prophecies. That the inclusion of Gentiles would one day happen. And Jesus was mentioning it. He, Jesus mentioned it, but we see it throughout the Old Testament. This wasn't new news for the people. They knew it was coming one day. And Jesus, and, and they're seeing the words of Jesus fulfilled. They're seeing Bible prophecy fulfilled. And in Genesis 19, they're seeing Genesis 19. They're seeing that being fulfilled. When, when God, God told Abraham that you will be the father of the Jewish nation. No, it's going to be of all nations. Isaiah 49, Psalm 87, and countless other Old Testament prophecies talking about the Messiah being the light for the nations. And this is a repeated theme. And so Peter backed his experience up with Scripture. And when we are responding to our critics, when we are trying to sort out the supernatural, it must be backed by the truth of God's word, everything backed by scripture. You can be listening to the best preaching in the world. You can podcast any preacher, it seems, these days, or go on YouTube and watch and listen, and those, any sort of different outlets to be able to do that. But there is no replacement for the actual personal study, getting your eyes in the word of God, getting your head into the word of God, and getting your life into the word of God. 
A.W. Pink uh, read this quote this week. The Bible is no lazy man's book. Much of its treasure, like the valuable minerals stored in the bowels of the earth, only yield up themselves to the diligent seeker. We need to be studying God's word. Authority does not come from experience. Authority comes from the word of God. And we must be careful not to go further than the word of God goes. Again, early on in my young days as a youth pastor, uh, I've shared personally this story with a number of you. I don't think I've shared it on a Sunday morning. We had a guy that was in the city starting a ministry to inner city um, folks. And, and, uh, and, and he would come to churches and share a, a testimony of how God saved him. And it was just this mind-blowing, amazing, funny, yet powerful, just stick. I mean, he just had the audience just glued like no one would fall asleep even if they had comfortable seats he wouldn't fall asleep in this guy's testimony it was so amazing and as 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 he shared his testimony i mean god god used that and and it was a few months later i i tried to get hold of him again to have him come speak at another event and and that that we we're gonna have for our young adults and i found out that he moved to vancouver and and and, and he told me that. I actually got, got a hold of him on the phone. And, and, and he says, well, God told me to move to Vancouver. I'm like, oh, okay, cool. And, but then I also told, found out that God told him to leave his wife and go to another woman to be his wife. God told him. No, he didn't. That's taking experience and allowing your experience to be the authority and not God's word to be the authority. God wouldn't tell you to do that. God's word is very clear. Authority does not come through experience. We mustn't go further than the word of God, how the word of God will go. And so we must be very careful about things that are happening within churches, things that are not of God. If there's no precedent for it in, in the word of God, then we need to discern and we need to dismiss it. And we must be very careful. The Holy Spirit will not violate anything um, that we see in the word of God. God cannot uh, go against himself in that way. And, and, and here's some scripture passages or, or some references you may want to, we won't take time to go into this, but, but um, it just you may want to write down these passages as it gives us a bit of a criteria and a little understanding. 1 John 4 about dealing with, with, with false teachers and, and, and be careful that there are those that are twisting the truth of the word of God. Making, and, and oftentimes one of the, the telltale signs are they making much of themselves. Are they making much of Jesus? Are they making much of an experience? Or are they making much of repentance? Are they making much of a pastor and his bank account? Is there a, I must decrease and he must increase? If that was good enough for John the Baptist, I think that is a good motto for any of us to follow. 1 Corinthians 14, 2 Corinthians 11 as well. Some uh, further instructions in that area. Encourage you to read that. Um, and then we see uh, another thing here for Peter. No lone ranger living. Be in community and accountable. Now, if you go back in your Bibles to chapter 10, verse 23, you see this one statement that, that we have here that Luke reported. It says, and some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. So when, when Peter had the dream, the trance, and the Lord told him, go off to Caesarea, you're to head there. He didn't go alone. He took some brothers. Now, as you see here in chapter 11, verse 12, it says, these six brothers also accompanied me, and we entered the man's house. 
He wasn't saying, hey, these guys were with me, so if you're gonna, if you're gonna get after me, you better get after them too. Like, you know, I, I'm not, you know, he, he wasn't, he, he, he wasn't, gonna, he wasn't backing down here. But what he said in this statement, people, this is, this is really important. Uh, when Peter went to Caesarea, he didn't go alone. He took, took these six men, and so six plus him may, equals how many? Six plus one equals seven. Good, good. You guys pass um, that, that. That's a good thing that, that you know that. But you see, when this statement got made and they were able to even see one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, it was like, oh, that was a big deal. You see, the Jews knew Egyptian law, and Egyptian law stated that when there are seven witnesses, when there are seven witnesses, case is closed. They also knew Roman law that stated that seven seals or seven witnesses were sealed with, an ato- with authoritativeness, that something is good. There was something about seven witnesses. And so, folks, here we see humility, sticking to the facts, everything being backed by Scripture of the Word of God, and finally, the beauty of community being in relationship with others, having trusted people, bearing witness along with you. We need the same in our own lives. We need people who are walking with us. We need to be walking with other people. We need to be known by others, and we are to be known by others. We, can be, we need people in our lives we can be real with that will point us to the word of God, not just coddle us and say, oh, it's okay, I'll just give you a little hug here, you know, and, 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 and that kind of thing, and, 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 you know, dust us off or whatever, but, but that will speak the word of God to us in love, and sometimes it won't always be in love, or at least it won't feel like love, but we need to take what they have to say and allow it to, to work in our lives. No lone ranger living. It's not biblical to be a lone ranger, and if you don't have this, you'll be on shaky ground. We need to be in community with other people, holding us in areas of accountability and, and getting to know each other. That's why we have small groups. And that's why I encourage you, if you're not a part of a small group, that, and not just a you know, nice little group of, well, I have a good group of friends that are there for me. You know, No, like, we, we need to be getting after it. Like, as the men are together with the men and the women are together with the women that we are getting. You know, and some of this takes time. Totally understand where we're sharing with one another, where we're praying for, where we're speaking the word of God to one another another. And sometimes that's going to happen one-on-one across the coffee table, and other times it will happen in a group setting. But for Peter, his Savior, saving grace here in this in many ways is he had his six friends. He was in community. It's interesting, four years ago when we were in their early stages, a group of people were meeting together to pray and, and to seek God and starting to discuss the possibility of starting a church it was so important and, and, and such a high value for me. As I told the group, as, as we were talking about this, I said, if, I, if I'm going to be part of something, I don't want to be some independent group. I don't want to just be going out and trying to start a church with, with a, a group of good-hearted and, and, and good-minded people. No, we need to be under authority. We need to have accountability. 
And that is something so beautiful that, that Harvest Oakville, our sending church, has. And Harvest Bible Fellowship, as, as the greater fellowship of, of Harvest has, there's authority there. There's accountability. It was such a joy to have one of the elders phone this morning and pray with me and for me. And knew kind of some of the things going on in my life this past week. And, and just able to be praying for us in that. What a privilege. That is such the beautiful part of community. And you know what? Bottom line, I don't trust myself. I don't. I need others in my life. I've watched many good-hearted people who love the Lord get sidetracked or derailed. And we need one another in our lives. There's the plurality of people around you. You need it, and I need it. And let's face it, old habits die hard, don't they? Sometimes it's pretty hard, you know, to... to uh, to have some of those things die off. And, and as God is changing us, sometimes we can slip back into some, some unfortunate patterns. And even for Peter, here's Peter standing up here in front of the people in Jerusalem and just saying, folks, this is amazing. They don't need to be circumcised. They are in. Gentiles are getting saved. A number of years later, Paul comes to Peter. Read this in Galatians chapter 1. Paul comes to Peter and he rebukes him sternly. He gives it to him. And Paul says, what are you doing, Peter? You're not hanging out with Gentiles. You're fearful of men. You're fearful of what the circumcision party, which is still kind of around with these Judaizers, were, were all about. And he says, what are you doing? And he was creeping back into some, some old patterns. And, and even Barnabas. You know, Barnabas is an amazing guy, but he was also kind. And Paul, Paul had to say what needed to be said. Again, the beauty of community, Paul confronts him to the face because he was in the wrong. And at times we need that too. Are we willing to receive that? Are we willing to give that to others? That's, a, that's the path to, to victory in our walk with the Lord and in this ministry in our family life, in our work life, in our community. And finally, trust God to work. Look at verse 18. When they heard these things, they fell silent and they glorified God saying, then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. They fell silent. They had nothing to say. They couldn't argue with it. There was humility. There was the truth of God, God's word. It was backed up by the word of God. He had the beauty of community. He had these seven. There were seven witnesses to this and God worked. Now, it's not always going to work that easily and that well for us, but we allow God to work in his time and his way upon their lives. We can step back when we employ these kind of situations, say, okay, God, I'm going to keep praying and trusting you to work, but God, would, you stay hum would I stay humble and, and dependent upon you and not become proud or become a critic myself? And as a result of this, we're going to see next week, as I said, fasten up your seatbelts because it gets pretty exciting. We will face critics and opposition. When God is on the move, there will be that. There will be the temptations from the world, the flesh, the devil, and from others. But instead of turning people off, may we be, be people that would, would be able to lovingly walk with one another in this. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we come to you and we admit that oftentimes we can have damaging actions and... and uh, and a proneness at times to be exclusive or passive or pessimistic uh, when it comes to the work that you are doing in someone's life or um, in another church. 
someplace around the world or even in our own city. God, I pray that we would be wise people, discerning people, rejoicing people. We would be able to rejoice when there's true rejoicing that can happen. Would we be also quick and firm to be able to speak the truth, the word of God to one another and counsel one another in love? This, this example we see here in the life of Peter, may we take and apply it to our own lives. And Lord, I pray with this that you would take and you would enlarge our lives, you would enlarge our circle of influence would we be open to your leading and guiding this week to those that you are wanting to reach, that you've placed in, in, in our path, that you have placed in our life to be faithful and obedient? May we not be like that usher um, that had an opportunity to influence uh, Gandhi's life, but instead um, turned, turned him away. Lord, may we not turn people away from you, but may we turn people towards you through our love, through our actions, through our humility, we pray in Jesus' name. Let's stand together as we sing this song. And this song just is, is a prayer. It is a prayer of how we are to approach in, in, in simple humility and dependence upon the Lord to go about doing the work that he's called each one of us to do.